Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 353 on Tuesday, the 15th of September, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we can confirm we always go downhill under our own power, we'll be discussing how much Mercedes must hate courtrooms right now. We'll ask, will it be patents that prevent cars from advancing too quickly now? And we say congratulations to two people later on in the show. But first, we have to get stuck into court corner or follow up, as it's otherwise known. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna get going with some diesel gate. It's shocking the amount of court stuff this week, everyone. And I'm so sorry. Let's run through it as quickly as we can because we've got other more interesting things to talk about. We do, but the first one, and this it is maybe not so much interesting, but it's quite dramatic. But former Volkswagen chairman Martin Winterkorn and four other former senior Volkswagen managers are being charged for fraud in Germany. Now, recently, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, it was only a couple of weeks ago, Volkswagen managed to make one of these go away, one of these charges in a different court, by the process of paying the prosecutors an agreed sum, not admitting liability, and the prosecutors not saying they're guilty, but then the whole thing just disappeared. This is what happens mm-hmm. in the German legal system. So, you know, this was all above board. I mean, it sounds a bit odd to us over here, and possibly some people in Germany who didn't know that that was a thing that could happen. <laughs> but that is that is what happened. So this has been ordered to stand trial. I'm very surprised at. Not only that, but the court has allowed the prosecution to push for the additional charges of them being a criminal gang. Wow. Which is a, quite a big... I, I really... You know, it's bad, it, it was, I was surprised That's, at the first bit. Geez. This I am really surprised at. That That is just saying go for it with all guns blazing as far as i can see yeah wow i hadn't i'd missed that bit yeah that's quite something and the fact that former ceo of, of volkswagen group is being dragged into court so as ever we'll see what happens with with that one but there's a theme tonight because daimler as you're all aware parent company of mercedes-benz has agreed to pay a $1.5 billion settlement. Uh, that's a £1.17 billion uh, with the US government and the state of California to resolve diesel emission cheating allegations. It's being said that Mercedes used a defeat device to get around emissions testing. This settlement essentially goes the same way as the one Andrew explained a few minutes ago, uh, which is basically a case of, look, we deny the allegations, refute any claims that we've cheated emissions laws. We're we're just going to pay this money and make it go away. Yeah. But I fear that may open the... Because uh, we've discussed offline the yeah. adverts that you see on Twitter. I was going to say exactly the same. Do you have a diesel Mercedes vehicle? You may be able to get compensation. I, I love the way they've said it. May, possibly, mm-hmm. and might. <laughs> it's all over their adverts, but I block every single one. <laughs> the lawyers will get lots of money. I actually block every single one as well. It is an, an unfortunate side effect of our, yes, of our Twitter browsing and which articles we click through. <laughs> That means we get all sorts of joyous things like that. FCA still being investigated. Yep. Now to our other, or our third major story that seems to have followed us around for a while, and that is Gonegate. But this is the fact that Greg Kelly, who was the other Nissan executive that was arrested at the same time as Carlos Gome was in Japan, has begun his trial now. He has 
got up and said that he's done nothing wrong whatsoever. The evidence will prove that. Nissan are also in the dock at the same time as well for paying stuff they shouldn't have paid and not releasing the details. Nissan's admitted uh, or accepted guilt in this and has paid a fine accordingly. But Kelly's saying, no, didn't do anything wrong. Senior people in Nissan knew all about this. We were looking at legal ways in which to make sure that we kept Carlos going because he's a fantastic person who helped make sure Nissan didn't go under. Yeah. So we will see. I, I wonder, as everyone was focusing on Gone, and I bet the legal prosecution was really honing in on Gone, whether they've had to really scramble mm. a bit to make sure that they've covered Kelly <laughs> from a prosecution point of view. I presume it's two different teams. Possibly, possibly. I, I guess they see him as as uh, sort of... I don't say collateral. I don't think that's the right wording. But they see him. He's he's there because they really wanted rid of goes. It's junior partner type thing, isn't it? Yeah. So it depends just how hard they they decide to push on yeah. this. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's pure and complete speculation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, Kate. Take us to some new news in this this week's episode of <sighs> People Can't Read a Press Release. I'm so. But I I got to the silent scream stage <laughs> with this. I, I almost blocked it. Because it was driving me bonkers. McLaren. Now, the wording always says, has put its working headquarters up for sale. Uh, and there, by the way, I am quoting the first line in this autocar article. But what all of the articles go on to say, sometimes, and I'm I'm not picking this one out for that, for, for that, by the way. Some of the others mentions at the end that it's not really up for sale. It's part of a buyback scheme or leaseback scheme, pardon me, where McLaren sell the building to a finance company, uh, an asset management company, and they lease it back from that asset management company. So the company, so I can't use the company for both sides. So uh, McLaren then get a large wadge of cash, mm -hmm. which they can use to sort out cash flow and all these kind of things. And they get to stay in the building they're in that they everybody loves and adores and uh, they essentially lease it back from the company they sold it to, and I'm sure at some point when cash flow sorted itself out, they'll buy it back again. Yes. It's not unusual. One of the reasons McLaren couldn't raise cash by other means, such as via the government, is because everyone went, you have this massive asset. You haven't done anything with this massive asset to try and bring back any kind to sort of realize any of the worth you yeah. have there. We're not giving you any money until you've done something about that. Yeah. So whilst they probably didn't really want to do this, they had to, and they had to so that it's there as a mechanism to raise that, that ultimately they'll be in a position should they need to, to raise more cash uh, from outside sources, having already realized essentially one of their investments, one of their major, major investments. Yeah in the, the the shape of mtc this is not unusual no uh, this is actually relatively good business sense i don't think it's something to to panic about i would be more worried if other things were happening really no i think a lot of people just don't understand or before this uh, um this news item came out we're not aware that that's how a lot of companies do this the, you you go to headquarters oh, yeah. of many businesses and whilst it has their name on the building and they're not particularly on just you know, random industrial estate somewhere hmm. they are just doing a lease back on it absolutely and that i mean it happens with being skyscrapers in the center of london and stuff hmm. as well 
So, you know, it's it's really not unusual. Many well-known London landmarks, for example, built by one company, they've got everybody knows it as the headquarters of so-and-so and but really it's owned by a management company and it's all goes back and forth and ultimately at the end of the day the people who are invested in these management companies by the way are often pension funds yeah. and things so ultimate so very often it's us that own a little bit yeah. of it and they're in it for the long term as well these investment firms yeah yeah this is th- these are long-term investments they expect the worth to go up so that there's no other way that they can they can really do it that makes sound stable financial sense. Yep. Gosh, that was almost like proper information. <laughs> I know. Get us. <laughs> oh, Feel all grown up. I'll never last. <laughs> Moving on to the next Daimler in court news item. Now, again, only a few weeks ago we were talking about daimler and losing patent cases on a technology that was being used inside their cars uh, last time it was with nokia and uh, this time it's with sharp mm-hmm. sharp has actually won patent case in germany well it's all part of the same thing really isn't it because they're all part of this so nokia and sharp and many electronics companies are all part of this one group of people yeah. have gone around and said, okay, we've got all these patents, we're going to gather together and then you pay us royalties, lots of royalties. Yeah, but they've been, what, what's happened is, it, again, in this, uh, like it was with the Nokia one, uh, Daimler have been found to be using the technology and not paying any uh, license fee or any extra monies, which is not deemed as fair or proper. Again, as we said last time, Sharp could... If they put down in this instance five point five billion uh, five point five million euros, which is a heck of a lot less than what Nokia would need to do, they could if mm. they put that down as collateral, they could ba- they could force Daimler to stop selling any vehicles with this technology in it, which would be a heck of a shout. And I'm not sure Sharp would want to do that. No, I think it would be a little bit. I mean, that really is that that it would send a very scary signal. That starts to get quite spiteful. From the look, you owe us money to now we're going to ruin your business. That seems quite a quite a switch, unless you know things have got really nasty, which possibly they have. Daimler could appeal. They hadn't appealed by the time this article had come out, and it's not been updated yet on Automotive News Europe. But what I will have in the show notes is there will be a link to another Automotive Europe uh, Automotive News Europe article that explains the whole background behind the Nokia and how companies are using Nokia and Sharp and how companies, car companies are using uh, lots of mobile technology stuff. And they, the car companies don't want to be paying these fees because they feel they're too high, but the companies who've developed it and own the patents are going, well, we want compensation for you using our technology, please. So there's a, there is quite a standoff going on. There's an excellent article that explains all that. And that's what brought up that's, quick question i threw in the introduction is it actually going to be patents and technology that holds back the advancement of cars thinking along the lines of autonomous vehicle type stuff mm-hmm. more than software and not having the capabilities and stuff like that because this is going to get expensive i think this happens every time and it's to do with the way that the world's patent and intellectual property laws work or don't work i mean we've seen it with apple and samsung Mm. which finally ended uh it's a it's a tough one i I think that companies might find other ways of doing it i think that there are 
you see, part of the challenge here is normally the automakers say, well, no, actually, you, Bosch or Continental or whoever that are our suppliers, you pay the fees on this. Mm. This one, it's different because Nokia and Sharp and the rest of the Avishi or however you pronounce it, group, uh, are saying, no, we want the fees straight from the straight from the manufacturers. We don't want it from the component suppliers. We want to say it's going to be this much mm. per vehicle, which is, stands at about uh, 15 euros. 15 euros, isn't it? Yeah, around about there. At the minute, I don't know. It, it depends how... Th- there's going to have to be some testing of this, and then it may well be that, you know what happens, the automakers will go off, form their own little consortium, and then declare whether or maybe find a way around the patent together and then cut the cut these pure tech companies out of it. Yeah, because I, I saw a, something on Twitter over the weekend that said that Qualcomm had won their case against Daimler. Daimler were, Daimler were trying right. to claim that it was unfair and the court had thrown it out. Along the similar lines of, you know, you, you need to pay us for this because they were... They were trying to claim that it was unfair business practices or something and the court just went no rubbish out it goes uh, it's one of those those tricky ones the ridiculous part of that of course being that qualcomm was a key sponsor of mercedes amg formula one for quite a yes. long time as well so yeah it's all very weird and one arm and the other arm and all this kind of nobody knows what each other's doing and it's it's just all a bit of a mess. I mean, it, the parallels with Apple and Samsung are huge because at that point, Apple is buying memory and screens from Samsung and a different part of Samsung is suing Apple over intellectual mm. property. And it's going to end up, we're going to end up in that sort of situation. Yeah, I, I can see both sides' argument for this i mean i can see mm. i can see the car manufacturers going hang on this is this is getting really we're already being squeezed and obviously they're in it to make money you know let's be realistic about these things no and they're going hang on that's that's really quite a pinch on our on our margins and where's the patent people are going but hang on we spent all the money developing this we deserve compensation for that thank you very much yeah well we deserve compensation in this way and in this structure that we want mm. I don't think anybody's really wanting to deny them compensation. Mm. It's not as if they're going, ha oh, we're getting away with it. <laughs> no, because no car manufacturer's ever done that. <laughs> well, this is very true, yes. Goodness, how topical. But, but I think it's a case of, no, we don't want this new structure that you're trying to enforce upon us where it's us that pays, not suppliers. Yeah, they're not and, used to that. Uh, are they? Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. what it does done. No, no. I don't know why they should be. You know, you would feel that it would be the component manufacturers that would pay that, and then you, mm. you don't go to the top of the tree because then you, yeah, 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 because they're a supplier to the component manufacturer, who in turn is a supplier to that. Whereas you're jumping, you're jumping generations and and uh, uh, and, and steps in the supply yeah, chain. That, that I think is what makes it very weird. Yeah. Sorry, we've talked quite a lot on that. I thought it was relatively interesting. No, it is. It is, but I think it's going to have a major impact moving forward. Anyway until they thrash it mm. out that works for the manufacturing. But anyway, why don't you just slow us yeah. down a little bit and so the hot air that comes out isn't quite so bad. From seventy to from seventy to sixty, you mean? In very specific yeah. locations. <laughs> in, yes. Well and, and not the locations photographed either, by the way. Worth bring that in, which is funny because it's one of the places where I would have expected them to have done it. Uh, Highways England is going to trial reducing the speed limit on certain stretches of motorway uh, 24 hours a day from six from 70 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour to try and 
reduce the levels of nitrogen dioxide, which has been rising in those specific areas. There are only going to be four locations, but of course they may soon extend it should it, it, it make a, a marked reduction in the pollution levels. So those areas are the M1 between junctions 33 and 34, which is quite far up. I think that's about Derby. Okay. okay. The M6 between junctions 6 and 7, so that is uh, central Birmingham. Yep. The M602 between junctions 1 and 3, not really sure where that is. End of the 62 into Man- into Salford. So again, a heavily urban area. Is heavily it? urban area that gets mega busy. Again, where you barely touch 70 anyway. Which yeah, even in the middle of the night, I don't think you anyway. <laughs> uh, Well, that's why I thought that stretch at Luton, which was photographed, would be the bit that was, was caught in the M2- M1. And then, uh, where was the last one? M5 between junctions 1 and 2. So that's going to be... The centre of Birmingham. That's the very... Is that the top or the bottom? Yeah, I couldn't work out if that was Bristol or Birmingham. I think yeah, it goes again, on to 6 and 7 of the M6. Possibly. Uh, no, uh, no, I don't think it does, actually, because it would have to... The M5 joins the M42, I think. I, I'm not surprised, personally. Pretty much any other time I've driven the areas which I know of there, which I've, I've just run through, again, it's very unusual to reach 70 miles an hour yeah. anyway. So... I don't think that this is going to cause a major issue and a major challenge. Uh, as I said, that that's I act genuinely thought when they said there's a patch on the M1, I thought it was going to be that stretch just north of the Luton Airport turnoff that goes kind of through between Luton and Dunstable. Right. Uh, I was expecting it to be there because that's the section photographed because uh, because that you rarely hit 70 through there anyway. It's, it's quite often 60s uh, on the overhead gantries. Let's see what happens. Could be extended. It's going to be... Ru- oh, it's going to run. I forgot the other part of the information. Uh, it's going to run for t- uh, for between 12 and 15 months. Obviously, if you're driving at 70, you could be you could be hit with a £100 fine and three penalty points, as is the way for speeding. Generally. Yeah, they're looking at uh, implementing this before October as well. I had to hunt through many. I had to hunt through many articles to find out when it was going to happen. <laughs> when the thing comes around on Facebook, yet a ruddy gain about turning all the cameras on the M1, which I keep reporting as fake news, then be aware that th- this <laughs> isn't that. <laughs> talking of speeding, and there is information from the Department of Transport. Talking about speed limits in 2019, how many were broken, at what levels they were broken, and all the rest of it. But essentially, the the large overall figure is pretty much the same as it has been since 2011. So no more or no less really have been uh, have been caught speeding. Um, what has happened that is 50% of drivers will speed on a motorway, um, 54% speed in 30 mile an hour limits yes the special 42 mile an hour people you are doing well but what they have said Mm -hmm. is that speeding on 60 mile an hour single carriageways has dropped to nine percent for cars and 26 percent for motorcycles which is an interesting that's because so many idiots drive at 45 well yeah i think so yeah Happened to me the other day, 47 miles an hour. It was a 60, it was 20 degrees. It was a beautiful, glorious, sunny day with great sight lines. And you're doing 47. But 
you can't overtake no, because of course you can't because people are too close <laughs> and things like that uh, but it would actually be interesting to see how many of the 60 roads we have left and how many have been reduced down to 40 mile an hour because local councils like a 40 mile an hour sign remember that as soon as that there's lots and lots anytime that the percentage is always going to be tiny because there are so many 60 zones which are back roads that nobody really notices mm. yep I noticed on here, by the way, that the um, the the proportion of cars exceeding the limit by more than ten miles an hour was going down. Yes, twelve percent on motorways and six percent on thirty mile an hour roads. Yep, that's getting there. Yep, it is. Um, but what I found interesting was that uh, exceeding speed limits was a contributing factor in five point one percent of all road traffic. You need to make an amendment here, Autocar collisions in 2018 however if you read the headlines you'd think speed was the number one 999 to 99 point of what caused road traffic incidents yes absolutely speaking of speed and this time young drivers the co-op uh insurance uh has introduced well they're 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 trying to introduce a T plate. So it's like an L plate, but it has a pale blue T on it. Pale blue, of course, being the color of uh, the cooperative. And this is to, so that they can show and indicate to other drivers that they have a telematics box. It's T for telematics. It took me a little while to realize that that's what the T was for. So the little black boxes. And part of this is is they're hoping that younger drivers aged 17 to 25 will feel safer when they're driving because right at the minute when they have a telematics box, they're being super careful, but other motorists are really pressuring them. So one in four, mm. that's almost a quarter uh, <laughs> of young drivers uh, in that age group are feeling, uh, you know, say they feel physically unsafe when they drive. Nearly three quarters have been overtaken in unsafe circumstances, and 43% have received rude hand gestures from other drivers. So this whole T-plate pilot that they're doing aims to, to, to try and just let people know that this is folk in that situation simply cannot drive like uh, like uh, ag aggressive morons like people with, without the boxes can't. And so often you nowadays you see little vinyls that people have obviously bought off off Amazon or eBay yeah. saying black box fitted I don't like it either or words to that effect. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you think driving is the only one where actually obeying the law is seen as a bit of a hindrance to others? Because whenever we talk about speed cameras, be, yeah. not just us, but whenever the subject is brought up, people go, "Oh, they're just there to make money off people," and you go. But if you didn't speed, no one's getting any money. It goes back to that that thing about all the speed cameras on the M1 to be turned on, they'll be on exactly 70 miles an hour. And people having an outcry. So, well, no, 70 miles an hour is the legal limit. You can't complain. Mm. You shouldn't be complaining no. because all you're doing is you're going, oh, I would have break the law. Yeah. And, and it's a similar thing. And that's what happens with, with these guys. They have essentially, you know, they have, they have something that is watching for them making a mistake, watching for them being a bit aggressive, pulling out of a junction, watching for them going one or two miles, straying accidentally one or two miles over the mm. limit. Uh, so they're being hyper, hyper careful. Uh, 
which is exactly what I would be doing if I had to have yeah. one. I mean, I've, I've never, I've never got frustrated with someone meeting the legal limit on the road. For people not doing that, yes, no. <laughs> like you said, you know, yeah, the, the, the forty-seven miles an hour yeah. and a sixty, you know, and on a beautiful, on a beautiful day with great sight, with etc., etc., etc. Absolutely. Sorry, I want to make sure that there's the clarity of context there rather than just going, whoa, they drove so slowly. And it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, go on. B-word. B-word. It's been Get a it long time it. since we've mentioned it, but we feel we need to this week because not only has SMMT been pleading, I think we've, we've got to pleading stage now, but uh, EU automotive bodies themselves have joined forces and said, Please, please sort out a post-Brexit trade deal that includes automotive that makes it as frictionless as possible and does not have WTO tariffs because that is going to have a massive impact on an already dreadful year for the automotive industry in Europe and the UK. To give you a quick reminder of what uh, WTO rules, uh, it's 10, so the sort of default backstop for anything is 10% tariff on cars and 22% tariff on commercial vehicles. I'll let those sink in for a second or two. That's yeah. how bad it is. It's really bad. Mm. And but we can expect the manufacturers to hold that that money, aren't we? They'll they'll take that hit. Oh yeah, they're just going to absorb that. Yeah, 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 totally. They'll be delighted to. Absolutely yeah. delighted to. Yeah. Ooh. Or something. Nissan Dukes all round, everyone. That's yes, quite. <laughs> uh, but you found an interesting video, which will be in the show notes from Dr. Andy Palmer that was interviewed mm. about what are the what what is the problem with the uncertainty over Brexit. Um, so you can click in the show notes and, for that. And don't forget that whilst lots of people think of Andy Palmer when it comes to Aston Martin, then before that, of course, he ran uh, he he ran uh, Nissan uh, in the UK. Was it in the UK or was it Europe? I think it was just just uh, UK. So you know he has an an idea mm -hmm. of this. The good news, by the way, is is that we would still be able to buy a Suzuki Swayze. Swage Swayze. That's it. There we go. You still buy a Suzuki Swayze. It won't it won't be hit by that. So mm -hmm. here we are. Anyway, moving on from Brexity stuff, because that's just a cue to go and slit our wrists. We have awesome stuff. Yes. It's awesome competition time. The live draw is coming up. I know, I know. I feel I should have rigged up uh, a soundboard for this, so we had some background music and cheers. And people and would stuff. wonder who, people would wonder what had happened to the podcast and what had, what had happened to us if that was the case. <laughs> Yes, because you'd edit it all out. Anyway, so there's two prizes, as you remember. Thank you to the many people who entered, uh, especially those of you who added extra messages along with the answer. Now, the correct answer, by the way, to the question, how many pieces are there in the McLaren 720S Speed Champions Lego set, was 161. Mm. Incredibly difficult thing to look up, because if you look it up on the internet, the number is on the front of the Box. Ah, yes. No time and effort was spared in thinking of the question. 
so the winner of said McLaren 720S from the Speed Champions range, the kit suitable for ages 7 to 14 and including a McLaren designer stroke racing driver minifigure. For all your role-playing needs. For all your, yes, for all your, all your role-playing needs, is James Cooper. James Cooper, congratulations. Congratulations, James Cooper. Well done. That now I can I can hear. I shall email you two howls of anguish at least. <laughs> yes, I'll be in touch for addresses and stuff. And the winner, uh, and thank you to Phil Hoff for very generously donating that prize off his own back. And uh, yeah, he tried to enter earlier on <laughs> as well, by the way, but I didn't add his name because that would just be silly. What you mean when you pulled his name out? Tempting as it was. <laughs> It would be just as silly if he won. If he won, what I'm about to draw from, yes, which is James Ruppert's uh, Bangonomics rebooted, which is going to small drummer, please, Damien Cross. Well, well done, Damien. Congratulations. I should be in touch for addresses and stuff. Uh, I'm now writing Damien's name beside his name. That's good work. And what I want to write is book. <laughs> So that I remember that that's that. Uh, by the way, you'll, people who are watching along, you'll see that I am drawing it from a Motoring Podcast mug available from uh, motoringpodcast.com. Uh, click on the shop or merchandise or whatever it is that I called the tab at the top. This one, well used. Uh, it's one of my favorite mugs, actually. I'm very, very pleased with those. Uh, you can buy them and support the show. Thank you. Is that me done that? That was a bit of an anticlimax. No, that was good it? Formula E. That was cool. Yes, let's move on from that. Formula E. Uh, we talked about Mahindra. Was it just last week? We've, we've mentioned them recently about a bit of a rough season. Exactly. They'd had a had a tough season. It seemed unlike them. They're normally up towards the top of the, the charts. Uh, so they've obviously been trying to sort that. So what they have done is they have signed the former Mercedes-AMG high-performance powertrains team leader, Josef Holden. He will be joining Mahindra, and hopefully that'll give them a better chance next uh, next season and the start of season six coming. Yeah, because what I didn't realise, but it is actually in this article, is that Mahindra's problems really hinged around the fact that their new gearbox that that didn't work properly at the start of the season, so they had to go back to last year or the previous season's one when they came back in the final races. So. Whilst they were ninth overall on individual basis, like they did nine Super Bowl appearances and stuff like that, and five point scoring positions in the final six races. So hopefully next year with with the new investment and the new, uh, I think they've got a new technology center as well and all that sort of stuff that they've been investing in in the last year, that will come to the fore. And I mean, Mm -hmm. managing to get one of the... I mean, because he's Holden has been involved in their F1 team, Mercedes F1 team as well. So that that level of experience mm-hmm. of winning a lot of things can only be a good thing. I noticed the very last line is that Mahindra has recently completed completed, pardon me, uh, moved to a new headquarters in Banbury, UK, which features a design office and driver in loop simulator. Well, it means that his. Uh, his commute is not going to change very no. much. But design office and driver in loop simulator. That's that's superb though, because that means that that McLaren that's just been won. These these things are real. The design in the day, and at lunchtime yes, go down to the like simulator. <laughs> I've actually just realised I've got Brackley and Banbury mixed up just uh, there, so um, I'm going to look a bit of a bit, bit of a prat there. I'm so sorry. At least I realised they are in the vague, same vague corner of the country. 
Cool. Right. Well, to we'll gloss over that and move on to WRC. And uh, yes. WRC Turkey is taking place this weekend, and they will be keeping the same COVID nineteen precautions as they had for Estonia. So that means that the drivers, as this picture shows on the Dirtfish article that's in the show notes, the drivers come to a pen and are a distance away from the journalists who then sort of point a mic vaguely in their direction and ask things and then they go away and uh, and make their notes not very personable but it's understandable and people will get adjusted to this the way that they're doing things mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also connected with uh, dirtfish and wrc the hybrid issue has reared its ugly head once again we thought this was all done and dusted yeah but it's not. This is a really interesting article. I thought so, yeah. Yeah. But what I hadn't realised is that the amount of energy that is wasted through literally keeping the turbo spinning up and through the wastegate yep. and the anti-lag systems. And so so it seems that people really, really want, instead of a full hybrid system, and this includes Toyota, uh, what they would really rather have, which is going to cost them less money to put in place, especially at the minute, all these kind of things, is actually an electric turbo system that keeps the turbo spinning. So not one of your eBay cheapy <laughs> things, which which everybody makes fun of on Mighty Car Mods, <laughs> but uh, an actual, you know, something that works and is real. I find that really, really interesting. So rather than getting you the occasional, you know, 10 miles of pure EV running, through through towns yeah. en route and then the rest of the time then actually it should make a better sustainable difference across the whole thing and even toyota say yeah that, you know because there was the there are the two camps there's the camp that's that goes for let's have a hybrid powertrain and let's have the hybrid turbo thing uh and hyundai was one of those that was going for the full hybrid powertrain but apparently they and Citroen said they would only continue if it went this way. It got voted in and then Citroen left, mm. which was very good of them. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Maybe, yeah. But now apparently Hyundai so that, are a that bit might change. Uh, twitchy now because of obviously the global economic outlook and situation and the return on investment. I mean, it's a lot of money and they still haven't won the Drivers' Championship, have they? No, exactly, and that that is a super touchy subject. But I mean, if you compare it to their touring cars, their touring car campaign, they can't stop winning in the touring cars. No, kicking. So I, I mean, it, it, the talk in this article is they potentially could leave the WRC, which I hope not, because mm-hmm. then we're down to you know two manufacturers, aren't we? We don't have a lunchtime read this week. It is a, a lunchtime. It'll will be a lunchtime watch instead in a story or two. But if you are looking for something to read over lunch, that WRC hybrid or turbo article is is the one to read. It's it is pretty long. It's fairly chunky, uh, but it is well worth your time. Yep, really, really interesting. I wasn't expecting to find it quite as interesting yeah. as I did. My, my eyes got wider the further down I got. <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, Le Mans this weekend. Huge jump for WRC to um, endurance racing. That's what I was trying to say. Andy Blackmore, there will be a link to the portfolio, a link to the tweet. Link to the tweet. Link to the tweet for the spotter's guides uh, this year. The tweet contains a link to the portfolio. These get updated all week. Uh, So by the end of the week, they should have all the liveries of all the cars taking 
part in Le Mans. So you can, well, you can't pick out who it is on the track. Uh, you can do it from your from your TV or from your streaming device yes. uh, this weekend. Radio Le Mans, always worth listening to this weekend. Yep, they are ad-free. I saw a tweet from them saying they're ad-free even for the free practices uh, all the way through. So as ever, you know, it's just... It, it, without them, Le Mans would not be the same, that's for sure. Especially not for those of us who aren't there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I will probably at some point over the weekend have them on in the background when I'm in the garage and or whatever, because that's what I try to do at Le Mans weekend. Yep. Lunchtime watch you just mentioned. And that is, mm-hmm. again, from Dirtfish, it, they are our go-to place for rallying stuff. It's excellent, excellent coverage they have there. It really is very good. But this is a, a video, seven and a bit minutes long, where they are chatting to Malcolm Wilson, and he talks about how the M Sport story began. It's actually really interesting, which is why we've put it in, obviously. But it's, it's a really yeah. interesting story of how it began and how he moved from being a driver to being the team manager, managing director now, mm-hmm. I suppose, is what he is. So, so uh, if you like your rallying and you like to hear about British companies doing pretty well you should go and have a listen a watch of that okay alan take us through the list of the week then small but fun well it is it is it's well it's 11 items long but it's from top gear and it is 11 of the best fun cars with less than 150 brake horsepower uh, courtesy of craig jameson and this is my kind of list it really is. I mean, I can go, right, where are we? Normally we go, oh, we've never driven any of these. So, uh, yeah, owned two of them, uh, owned one of them. Never d- driven, but been a passenger in one of those. Not driven that. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen, as we listen to Alan clicking through a slideshow. <laughs> uh, Learned to drive in one of those. Never driven, but would love to. Really want to drive. Uh, yeah, I want to drive that. Not really fast about that one. you come to love from us. <laughs> Not interested in those. That's quite nice. Uh, and yeah, back to those again. There you go. That's this week's list of the week. Just what you want. If you would like a more visual treat, you should click the link in the show notes. People can play when we go through the whole list. But anyway, what one to you to whet people's appetites? Is the one there that you haven't driven that you would really, really like to? Yeah, there's, there's. It is a very, very good list. And there's plenty I want to try, but probably the one I'd I'd have to try first would be the Alfa Romeo Giulia GTA. Yeah, it's beautiful. I adore the alloys. The the, the photograph is stunning as well. Mm-hmm. Whoever's taken that, yes. Uh, you, you would like to drive it through an Italian Piazza. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Ham and cheese. Yeah. The mine mine has to be the the car that I I still haven't driven, and I'm I'm really sad that the time that we almost got the chance, it got too late and it was too slow. And it's the Nuova 500, the rear-engined Fiat 500. Mm-hmm. I still want to drive one of those. Um, I just think it'll be hilarious, despite the no synchro one first, which still scares me slightly. But yeah, well, I think maybe if you talk nicely to Connor Tuomi, because I think he's got one. Yeah, I saw. I didn't. I thought those were cars he had had in the past. I didn't realize they were current ones. Whenever I, I think he's still got it. All oh, right. Ooh. It's just been a little bit neglected because he's been. Busy with the Elan. Mm. Connor, Connor has many desirable cars. Yes, he does. Yeah. Anyway, and finally this week, Andrew. And that is the record 
for the least amount of charging required for an EV vehicle to get from John O'Groats to Land's End. Now, when we first saw this story, I have to admit it was a little bit, oh, John O'Groats to Land's End, here we go, until I read into it and realised they were trying to see how little they could get away with charging to be able to do this. And that's how short a period of time. Yes. And the actual amount of time that they spent charging was one hour, 32 minutes and 32 seconds, which is amazing, Hmm. actually. (laughs) And that's for 855.2 miles, of course, going from from John O'Groats south, which gives them an advantage because gravity. You know, if you're going south... Yeah, absolutely. Always use less fuel than if you're going north. We did it the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Well... Well, they did it. They did it with only four charging stops. So they stopped. They went. Johnny goes to Perth and uh, Gret, then to Gretna Green, then to Staffordshire into a Tesla supercharger, and then to uh, the Ionity site at Columpton in uh, in Devon. Mm. This seemed to be supported by Ionity, so it was Ionity where they could, and, and just the speed of the Ionity chargers. I'm told. I yeah. so wish we'd had. <laughs> I, there was a time when I would have killed for an Ionity charger in Devon. And Cornwall. Cornwall. Well, just a charger that in Cornwall. so awful. Because <laughs> so they, they took, they, at the same time, they broke, they completed the whole trip in 15 hours, 32 minutes, which is impressive even in an internal combustion car. Yeah. To think, so starting from wherever the heck we were in Cornwall, across in about that length of time, probably longer, I think it was, we managed to go from Cornwall to Folkestone. Yes. A thoroughly miserable day. It was. It was. It was. It, that was the worst day. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> But they, they averaged uh, 6.05 kilometres per kilowatt. Which is pretty good going. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, pretty Especially efficient. when they'll have been trying to do time as well. So they'll have been, you know, yeah. motorways and stuff. So, so good on them. Uh, well done. So by the way, just quickly, so you know who it is. It was Dean Fielding of Zero Carbon World, Formula E driver Alexander Sims, and EV specialist David Pilo. So um, pretty experienced drivers there as well. Yep. Although I, I think uh, Alexander Sims was probably looking for sort of glowy bits on the track where the car would just go a little bit faster if you went over it. <laughs> Where's my fan boost? I know. I know. <laughs> No, but it is an impressive feat, and it's well done, because it's just a standard Tesla 3. Yep. Tesla 3 performance. Yeah, it doesn't even have the ugly wheels and stuff of the basic ones, which are these super aero ones. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Well done. Well done, then. That story from the ZapMap blog. Right. Now, I think we can put to bed all John O'Groats to Land's End or Land's End to John O'Groats drives and reports. Thank you. On EVs. It's all been done now. Yeah, until the next time one's quicker, though. Or something. But yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Parish notes this week. I have nothing for this Friday. I don't think you have anything for this Friday nope. either. Hopefully something for the following Friday. Yep, trying to sort out diaries. Mm-hmm. But yes, we've got a couple of things we need to record, so at least one of those can be popped up if nothing else yep. crops up before. Aye. Uh, Zoom Zoomers has moved to monthly, first Monday of every month. So that's why there's not that this week. What was it Special edition came out the other week the Corolla Touring Sports. So do have a listen to that if if you haven't haven't already. It's the model yep. that's not a Suzuki as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, which pretty much does it, I 
think so everyone don't forget between now and next week uh, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget about our patreon and thank you and welcome to new patrons as well that's available at motoringpodcast.com slash support and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about the cars you have driven or owned in the list of the week, what's the best way to do that? It's via Twitter, of course, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.